This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Man, that was awesome. Let's say thanks to Aaron again. Thanks for... And, and I just want to express my gratitude to everybody that helped um, make South look like Christmas. Uh, thank you. This was all volunteers, and I mean, it just looks great. So for all those that had a part in here in the foyer area, thank you. It is fun uh, to gather and celebrate the birth of the King together. Hey, let's pray, and we'll jump into the scriptures. Oh, Jesus, we love you. Spirit, we long to hear your voice today. Would you point us uh, to the King of kings and Lord of lords um, who reigns? And Father, would you do a work in our heart that allows us to joyfully, gladly, passionately step under that beautiful reign? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you, if you weren't with us, yes, that song did summarize a 49-minute message, okay? So, um, well, way to go, Aaron. Three minutes, and some of you are going, praise the Lord. Let's, um, here's where we were last week. Let me catch you up um, and fill in some of the blanks, and then we're going to jump in again um, to explore this idea, this theme, let earth receive her king. I told you last week that when we were singing last Christmas, there was sort of a haunting theme in most of the Christmas carols that seemed to rear its head that I hadn't explored a whole lot. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her. Right, it's on a banner there. So if you missed that one, we were going to have to have a little bit of a chat. Yeah, so there's this theme all throughout, not only the Christmas carols, the Christmas carols nailed it. And and in fact, what they simply do is point out what scripture tells us. If you weren't here last week, this was one of our main texts that we studied, Luke chapter 1. Starting in verse 31, this is the angel speaking, angel Gabriel speaking to Mary. Listen to what he says. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you've found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. And of his kingdom, there will be what? No end. Now, I will never claim to be a genius, but here's the implication of what the angel just told Mary. Jesus, you're, you are pregnant with Jesus. He's going to be born. He's going to reign on a throne. And of that reign, it will never end. Implication for you and I, does Jesus reign today? Amen. Yes, if the angel Gabriel was correct, which I tend to go with angels, okay? Right? So if the angel Gabriel was correct in what he said to Mary, the implication for you and I is that Jesus reigns today and always will. Praise be to God. Somehow I lost that. I lost that central truth about what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. You see, for a long time I thought it was about a baby being born in a manger, but it's really about a king coming to reign over the earth. 
For a long time, I thought it was simply, here's, here's what I think happens to us. It's, it, it just becomes about the forgiveness of sins. And, and please hear me, I'm not knocking that. Praise be to God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you stand, you stand pure and spotless before the throne of God right now today. That's epic, okay? But, but, Christmas is not only about a God who forgives sin. Christmas is also about a king who reigns. And I think a lot of our wrestling with God, why don't we see you do more in our lives? And, 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 and Jesus, why doesn't it seem like you really take up that throne in the way today we long for you to take up? I think a lot of that has to do with us being very comfortable with a personal savior and a lot less comfortable with a reigning king. So we'll say yes to Jesus as far as the forgiveness of our sins, but, but when it comes to doing life and, and living in the world in the way that he, the King of kings and Lord of lords, rules over it, I think we push back against that. We say yes to Jesus as Savior, and we say, I'm not quite so sure to Jesus as Lord. And you see, here's the truth of the matter, friends, is that for the early church, they had this declaration. They called Jesus the Christ. We said last week, that's not his last name, it's a title. I love the way that Tim Keller puts it. Here's what he says. He says, um, Christos, or Christ, was a Greek word, meaning an anointed royal figure. It was another way of referring to the Messiah, the one who would come and administer God's rule on earth and rescue Israel from all of its oppressors and troubles. Not just a king, he writes, but the king. Anytime you read Christ in the scriptures, you can read king, as in he reigns. Now, today, um, I see you looking at me like, really, Paulson? This was the claim of the early church. Look at Acts chapter 17 with me. We're gonna, when, when we're done with Advent and, and Christmas is, is in the rearview mirror, we're going to jump back into the book of Acts. And ironically, this is right where we'll land. Acts chapter 17. Paul and his uh, traveling companions were preaching the good news of the gospel from the Old Testament. They were talking about this Messiah that was going to come and reign and listen to what they're accused of. Verse 6, Acts chapter 17. These men, it says, have turned the world upside down. What a claim. I mean, how would you like people to say that of the church today? They've turned the world upside down. And, and like, it was a positive thing, right? So sometimes the church messes with the world, and usually it's perceived as negative. But this is like, they've turned the world upside down. They're acting against the decrees of Caesar, it says. So here's their claim. Here's their claim. Their claim isn't simply that Jesus forgives sins. He does that. Their claim is far more subversive. It's far more political. It's far more in your face. It's dangerous. You see, Caesar could care less if there's forgiveness of sins. Yes and amen. But that was not their claim. These men are turning the world upside down. They're acting against the decrees of Caesar. They're saying that there is another king. And his name is Jesus. Awesome. I mean, that's their, that's their message. This is the King Jesus gospel. He's come and he reigns. Some of the circles I roll in, um, I would think that there's, there's sort of two things that people would propose that Jesus did. 
One, he forgave sins, and like I said, yes and amen. And the second thing, and really the only thing that Jesus did in his first coming, according to some people in some circles, is really set us up for his second coming. I mean, you've heard people talk like this, right? It's like, well, when Jesus comes back, then all the good stuff is going to happen. Right? And, and, and the only problem with that is Scripture. <laughs> so when Jesus comes back, will good things happen? Yes. Yes. Will he come back? Yes. Is that a hope that we have? Yes. Does he reign today? Yes. Does he invite us to live under his glorious reign today? Yes. Should we pray for his second coming? Yes. What will the difference be? Now, the answer isn't yes. What will the difference be? (laughs) The difference, the only difference will be no more competition. That's it. That's it. See, the thing that got the early church in trouble was this very subversive, political, powerful claim today. Jesus reigns. He's king. Now, if you're like me, that stirs up a number of questions. Let me throw out a few. You may have similar ones. If Jesus reigns today, how does he reign today? What does it look like? How do we experience it? Here's the the kicker that, um, uh, oh, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had around this question. If Jesus reigns today, why does the world look the way it does? Anybody else with me on that one? Right, Jesus, so I'm, I'm with the angels, I'm with the declaration of the prophets in scripture, I'm, I'm with you, what you did when you came was set up your reign. I'm with you, but why is there so much pain? Why is there so much hardship? Why is there so much death? Why does, why does your world look so different from your heaven? You own them both, what's the deal? My hope this morning is to point us back to the birth narrative of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. You can turn there. The the story of Jesus' birth according to Dr. Luke. And, And my hope is as we look at his birth, as we look at the coming of the king, we will also see the way that the kingdom comes. And so I hope as we look at, my goal is as we look at this passage of scripture, that we might not just see the way that the king was born, but the way that his kingdom is born also. And I think if we're able to look at this through the lens of Jesus, how do you reign today? It might answer for us a lot of the questions we've just proposed and a few more. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, here's the way Luke states it. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This was the first, as in there were multiple. Now, um, never mind. Um, There were multiple uh, when Quirinius was governor of Caesar. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. First three words. In those days. 
Interesting phrase, because here's what Luke wants to do. He wants to ground the story of Jesus in the history of the Roman Empire. Really interesting, because he's going he's to sort of make it a non-option for us to just say this is fable, and this is myth, or this is metaphor. He's saying this happened, and here is when it happened, and here is how it happened. Under the reign of Caesar Augustus. Now, this was a big name back in the Roman, uh, Roman Empire. He was the first Caesar under which the Roman Empire was unified. Big deal. He brought with him a few things. He brought with him little coins that had his face on them that declared Caesar is Lord. He brought with him, as he ruled and reigned over the Roman Empire, what they called and would affectionately term later on as the Pax Romana. It was the Roman peace. This was all the doing of Caesar Augustus, where um, it looked like peace from one angle, and from another angle, it looked like a bloody mess. The Roman peace, the Pax Romana, was really, if you disagreed with Rome, we would just crucify you. And if we did that to enough people, there wouldn't be all that many people that wanted to mess with us. This was the Pax Romana. His father, Julius Caesar, you may have read about him. His father, Julius Caesar, was, um, after he died, was deified. They declared he was a god. And so, therefore, Caesar was not only Lord, as far as the coins would say, but he was also the son of God. A term he really affectionately clung on to. Well, you had that reign, Caesar Augustus's reign over the whole Roman Empire, and you also had in this little corner of Judea um, a mini reign, uh, somebody who was under Caesar and subordinate to him. His name was Herod. You can read about him in Matthew chapter 2. Herod, well, Caesar was called Lord and the Son of God. Herod was termed because he ruled over this little area of the Jewish people. He was termed the King of the Jews. Interesting. So, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, who Caesar was Lord, Caesar was the Son of God, um, to the people who lived under the reign of the King of the Jews, Herod. And in this situation, a baby is born. A baby who's coming not just to be a baby in a manger, but a king who would reign on the throne. And right alongside the reign of the Caesars and right alongside the reign of the Herods, you have coming up in the uh, lane right next to them, baby, king, lord, savior, Jesus. (coughs) So we said last week, Christmas isn't so much about A baby, at least the hope of Christmas, isn't about a baby being born in a manger. It's about a king who's coming to reign. And this week, what I want to sort of point out from this Christmas narrative is that Christmas definitively declares, it's God's declaration that the kingdom of God is invading the empires of the earth. Right alongside Caesar, right alongside Herod, you have Jesus. (laughs) See, as followers of Christ, will you look up at me for just a second? We've lost this. Christendom robbed us of this. So for 1,600 years, we've been wrestling with this idea. See, being a follower of Jesus is far more about being part of a revolution than it is about being part of a religion. 
It's about people who said to the ruling authorities. It's about people who said to the way of doing things that ruled in power and violence and despair, there's a better way. That's what Christmas says. Right alongside Caesar, you have Jesus. Right alongside the kingdoms of the, and the empires of the earth, you have the rule and the reign of heaven coming down in hot pursuit of people like you and me. And it asks us this really simple question, what rule and reign do you want to live under? What, what king do you want to bow down to? The empires of the earth? Or the kingdom of God? You see, the central claim of Christmas is God is crossing enemy lines to bring his hope, to bring his love, to bring his healing, to bring his peace, a very different type of peace. And so Jesus invites his followers to pray in the Lord's Prayer. You you may have, if you grew up in church, you may have prayed it every single week growing up like I did, to pray, Jesus, your kingdom come and your, what, will be done on earth as in right now, today, as it is in heaven. You see, here's what the Lord's Prayer points out for us. We have this ability as people. We can either live under the reign of heaven or the empires of the earth. Most of our struggle with God, how do you reign and how do you rule, is birthed out of this idea that if God reigns, he's going to just wipe out all of his enemies. But the Christmas story tells us something far different, that he rules alongside, that his kingdom is an option for every single person in this room, but it's a decision. So Jesus will say things like, repent, that beautiful, glorious word, turn, change your mind. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, as in like right now, today, like you could walk into it. If you would just change the way that you think, change the way that you believe, believe God rules and reigns and walk into that beautiful, glorious reign. I mean, he says it again. It's pretty central to his message. 53 times in the book of Matthew talks about the kingdom of God. Matthew alone. From that time, it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, turn. Like you could do it. You could do it right now kingdom of heaven will come when I come back. I think that's the way we read it, isn't it? The kingdom of heaven, he said, is at hand. But we have to decide which kingdom we're going to live in. Will we live for our little kingdoms? Will we build our kingdom? Will we live in the kingdom and the empires of the earth, which is still a very viable option? A lot of people do it. I mean, it's not the Christmas season unless somebody get kills, gets killed at Walmart, right? Merry Christmas to you. Now, just so you know, look, eyes up at me just for a second. That's a reign. That's somebody's ruling over that. This insanity that we oftentimes participate in. The unwillingness to forgive. The unwillingness to pray for our enemies. The unwillingness to love those who persecute us. Which rule and reign do we live under? The reign of Jesus or Caesar or Herod or just maybe your little kingdom 
You see, Christmas is way more about a baby being born. It's about a king coming to reign, and it's about a God declaring, I am invading space and time, and my kingdom is coming. Friends, if the king reigns, which we said last week he does, then his kingdom is possible. A kingdom is simply um, where the king's, in this case Jesus's, effective will is done. Where what he wants to have happen, happens. And so, so your lives have the ability either to live in that kingdom or not. And I think a lot of times we choose no thanks. Dallas Willard in his great book, The Divine Conspiracy, writes about growing up on a farm in Missouri. And he talks about a time when they got this great little invention that changed a few things called electricity. And uh, most of the farmers, he said, they really pushed back. They denied it. They said, no, thank you. We, we don't want it. It's too expensive. Our way of doing things is just fine. And he says, listen, the kingdom of God is really similar. That it's available, it's at hand, it requires a changing of mind and direction and walking, but it's available to you today. Will you live under this kingdom? Interesting, because the Jewish people back in the first century were asked the exact same question. As Jesus was on trial, Pilate brought him in front of a whole crowd of people. And they said, verse 14 of John chapter 19, he brought him in front and he said to the Jews, Behold your king! Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered. Listen to these haunting words, friends. The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Now, when you understand the chilling implications of that statement, it's haunting. But here's the thing, friend. Hey, we, we do the same thing all the time. Our allegiance doesn't go to the slain lamb who sits on the throne. Oftentimes, it goes to the Caesars, to the Herods, to the affluent, to the powerful, to the legislation, to the get us in the chair of power. It doesn't go. It go it, we declare all the time we have no king but Caesar. And in the birth narrative of Jesus, through the gospel of Luke, we have this question as Jesus is born in this little town called Bethlehem under the reign of Caesar. We have this question asked to you and to me, whose rule and reign will we submit our lives under? You're deciding, some, you're deciding all the time. I just want to invite you to maybe in a fresh way explore the reign of Jesus today. Because it's beautiful. It's awesome. It's, it's glorious. Something reigns over your life. Why not let it be the shepherd king, Lord of lords? Um, he, here's what I want to do in the rest of the time we have. I want to go back in this story that Luke tells us, this narrative of Jesus' birth. And I just want to ask, what can we learn about the king and, by implication, his kingdom? And here's the first thing I want to point out. The king comes and the kingdom of God comes in opposition to and alongside of the empires of the earth. So in many ways, this answers the question that many of us have. Jesus, if you reign today, why does the world look the way that it does? 
Because there's options. Because you get to choose which rule and reign you submit your life under. I had this opportunity when I was a college pastor in California. We went on this leadership retreat up to um, Mammoth. And there's this river right outside of Mammoth. It's a hot springs river. And so it's this awesome sort of pristine out in the wilderness area, which in California is a miracle in and of itself. But... You swim across, we took all of our leadership students there, we, you swim across this river and it's ice cold. And you get to this point in the river where it starts to warm up and then as you get onto the banks on the other side of the river, bubbling out of the center of the earth, or some, somebody could explain it far better than I, but there's this bubbling up of hot water that's so hot you can barely sit on it. And you can swim out into the cold and swim back into the warm. Let me ask you, Is the river hot or cold? Yes. Yes, it is. This, friends, is the same way that the kingdom of God happens on earth. It doesn't exist exclusively apart from the empires of the earth. It exists right alongside of, in opposition to, and subversively, systematically taking down the empires of the earth. But make no mistake about it, you still have a choice which rule and reign you submit your life under. Jesus was born under Caesar. Jesus told this parable, this story. He was a masterful storyteller. And so one day as he's walking along, he sees a field, Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and he goes, hey, let me tell you about what my kingdom's like. He says, my kingdom is like, and I'm paraphrasing, my kingdom is like a farmer who goes and he sows seeds in a field. And then somebody else comes and while he's asleep, he puts weeds in that same field. But he says, that's the way my kingdom grows. It grows right alongside of the weeds. Wheat, weeds, right next to each other growing. So hey, if we're waiting for the kingdom of God to happen in a way where it doesn't have any sort of competition before we say Jesus reigns, we're waiting for something the Bible does not invite us to wait for. Because Jesus says, this is what my kingdom's like. Weeds and wheat right next to each other. A better question is, which are we? I think a better question then, if the world does, if the world, well, if Jesus reigns, why does the world look the way it does? Probably a better question is to just hold up the mirror. At least this is what I've found is a better question for me is to hold up the mirror and go, if Jesus reigns, why doesn't my life look a little different? And it's simply because I'm oftentimes choosing another reign. Look at the way that Paul puts it in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. He says, for he, Jesus, must reign, what's the word? Until. So he's reigning, and he will reign until all of his enemies, until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. Interesting passage, huh? He reigns, and he still has enemies, and he'll reign until he dispels of all of his enemies. And here's how you know when that happens. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. People still die? Yep, here's what that means. Well, Jesus still reigns, and he still reigns over his enemies, and he still has enemies. Someday he won't have any more enemies. Let earth receive her king.
This is the already and not yet nature of the kingdom. I love the way that Dallas Ward puts it. He says this, persons other than God, such as you or I, are still allowed on earth to have a say that is contrary to his will. Time out. Hence the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. A kingdom of darkness is here, certainly, and kingdoms of many individuals who are still trying to run their own show. All of this God still permits. So we see that Jesus reigns alongside of the empires of the world. The second thing we see, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, breathed everything you see around you into existence. Comes in great humility, not puffed up pride. If this is the way the king comes, may I propose to you, it's still the way the kingdom comes. Where God says, listen, the way that my kingdom takes root is sort of similar to a baby being born in a manger. Not a Caesar being born in a royal court. And my kingdom comes in people's lives. My kingdom comes in workplaces. My kingdom comes in families. My kingdom comes in homes. And believe me, it it comes to all those places. But it comes as God's people, as his followers say, we're going to live in the same way as the king. We're not going to be prideful. We're not going to power our way in. We're going to humbly lower ourselves and serve in the same way that our Savior did. That's the way the kingdom comes. It doesn't come in beating our chests and pride and having all the right answers. It comes in the same way that Jesus came, which Paul says in the book of Philippians chapter 2, that he emptied himself of every right that he had to be God humbled himself, made himself obedient, obedient even to death and death on a cross. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, yes? And every tongue confess, yes, that Jesus is God to the glory of God the Father. Oh, awesome. This is the way his kingdom comes. And as his people, it's his great, beautiful, brilliant invitation to you and to me. You want to be great? Be the servant of all what he says. Now, now, just a quick time out. Just so you, you're not thinking, well, all right, this, that's a nice idea, Jesus, but it wouldn't work. Okay, before we go there, how's the Roman Empire doing today? <laughs> oh, that's right. It hasn't existed for centuries. Wow. See, here's Jesus is saying something radically practical. You want to be great? Yeah. Serve. Love. Lower yourself. That's the way my kingdom comes. And every other kingdom of the world will pass away. The empires of the earth will fade away. This kingdom's not going anywhere, friends. It's doing just fine and into eternity. It will be doing just fine. But this is the nature of the kingdom brought in by people who say, under God's gracious hand, we're going to lower ourselves. Uh, Jesus said it's sort of like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of any seed and really sort of like a weed. (laughs) And it's planted and it grows and it grows and it grows. And before you know it, what started out as this tiny little seed is a plant that gives shade to everything around it. Because that's what my kingdom's like. Humble beginnings. Glorious endings. How might this apply during Christmas? Well, 
few areas I can think of in my own life. The need to be right. The need to be heard. The need to get what I want from Santa. (laughs) And we could go on and on and on. Which kingdom are we a part of? Second, third thing we see is this king comes in selfless sacrifice rather than extreme force. You have in Jesus and Caesar models of two different ways of being. You have Caesar who will come in and if you disagree with him, he'll kill you. In fact, he'll wipe out your whole town and he'll put a statue of him right out front so that people know he rules and he reigns. That's the way of power. That's the way of force. And then you have right alongside of this the reign of Jesus. And he says, if you disagree with me, I'll die for you. And if you disagree with me, I'll give myself for you. And if you don't like me, well, even when you're my enemies, I'm still going to love you and give myself for you. Friends, I think something's happened that we, I think we've embraced Christendom, the idea of um, a nation state that God rules over more than we've embraced Christ. And the way of Christ is not, we can't legislate the way of Jesus in, you can't do it. You've got, it's way harder than that, but it's way better than that, and it lasts way longer than that. You've got to love the reign of Jesus in. This is the way he comes born in selfless, sacrificial humility in opposition to force and power. And there's a reason the name of Jesus is still on the lips of two billion people around the world today. Who's talking about Caesar? The only time we talk about Caesar is when we read about Jesus. That's epic. Poetic justice. Divine poetic. But there's something very real and very true in there, friend. The way of sacrifice, the way of humility, it's the way of the kingdom, it's the way of the king. Um, a lot to skip over here. Well, why don't we have like two hours for the, anyway. <laughs> Finally, so we have the reign of Jesus coming alongside the reign of Caesar. We have the way of Jesus as a reign of humility and not pride. We have the way of Jesus and the reign of Jesus as self-sacrificial, sacrificing ourselves rather than powering over people. And then we have this beautiful, relentless love in the heart of the Father. And he says, this is what my kingdom is like. You want to live in my kingdom? There's a reign of love a pursuing love. And I'm not gonna let you go, love. A relentless love. Not, I'm gonna beat you down so I can get what I want from you, but I'm gonna build you up so you can walk in my joy. That's the reign of King Jesus. It's the same way that the king comes. He strips himself of all that it means to be God. He lays his, his divinity aside in the, all the benefits of being God. He says, I'm willing to, to, to put those off to the side so that I can come and not just encounter my enemies, but die for my enemies. That's the reign you live under, friend. See, Caesar sets up this census to tax and to take but Jesus sets up his reign to love and to give. That's awesome. Somebody should tweet that out. (laughs) And the fact, friends, the fact that God would clothe himself in humanity is a sacrifice, but the fact that he would go to the cross is a scandal. 
the scandal of love where God says, I, I, I show myself, I demonstrate my love for you in this, that while you were yet sinners, I died for you. If you feel pressed down and you feel lifeless, you're probably not living in his kingdom. His kingdom is love. Father's heart for you. Humility, sacrifice, love. They're the way that the king came and the way, the way that the kingdom comes. But we have to choose which kingdom will we live under. Ironically, in the birth narrative of Jesus as told by Dr. Luke, there's no room in the inn. There's also no room in the empire. The question is, is there room in our lives, in our hearts? Are we too consumed with this idea of power and force that maybe we've missed the way of sacrifice and love? Do we long for a Caesar to come and to reign? Or are we willing to embrace the Lamb of God, slain on your behalf as the King of kings and the Lord of lords? The hard part embracing, about embracing that king is living like him in his kingdom. That's the hard part because it's so contrary. But for centuries, followers of Jesus have been saying, our lives are defined by a king in a stable rather than a ruler on a throne. The question for us this Christmas, I think, needs to be, which kingdom are we in? Which king reigns over our life? Is it the king born in a manger humble, sacrificial, and loving, or is it the Caesars and Herods and Romes of our day who say we're going to rule in pride and we're going to be puffed up and we're going to rule in force and we're going to rule in oppression? Which kingdom do we live under? Because here's the haunting thing. Will you look at me for just a second? There's only room for one in your life. In inaugurating his kingdom, Jesus gathered his friends around a table. And in the middle of the table, he had bread and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. My kingdom is sort of like a God who comes and gives himself and just, and dies. Rather than killing his enemies, he dies for him. He wins him over rather than overpowering him. And he says, I'm giving myself for you. I'm giving my body for you. And he takes the cup and he says, this cup is a new covenant which is made in my blood. It's the covenant of grace, of mercy, of sufficiency. I'm enough. You don't need to overpower. You don't need to force your way in. You can be confident and humbly, gladly, joyfully submitting to this king and this Lord because he's already died for you. And so for 2,000 years, Followers of Jesus have celebrated this table, reminding themselves to live in this kingdom. I pray as you come forward today, as you take the bread, as you take the cup, you'll be reminded of the King who reigns, and that these elements that are a picture of His grace and mercy to you might prompt your heart to ask the question Am I living under His beautiful, glorious reign?
or something else. The table's open to all who are followers of the way of Jesus. If you're not this morning, Jesus said, repent, believe, the kingdom of God is here. Simply believe and you enter into this kingdom. Give yourself to him. Declare him as Lord and Savior, but also Lord. And then you're welcome to come and partake his goodness and his grace in this meal. Let's pray. King Jesus, we come and we bow. Father, um, in all the ways that we picture your kingdom apart from you as king, would you forgive us? Would you prompt us to once again believe that the way of the kingdom is the way of the king? Humility, sacrifice, and love. Thank you, Jesus, for the way that this table reminds us that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the king has been and will be victorious and that we have the beautiful invitation to live under your reign today. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.